0: Welcome to the Slip Angle Podcast. We yeah, are. I'm
1: a, I'm a guest on my own show this time.
0: That's right. Um, <laughs> you, you've been uh, replaced. It's fine.
1: I'm cool with
2: it, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, I'm at Aaron Lichty's house, and uh, we decided to do a show. Um, it is, I guess, the Tuesday after uh, the last race of the Formula One World Championship, and. Yeah, and- and, and we thought we would talk uh, a little bit about something that's that's top of mind. Uh, also, PRI was last weekend, so that was pretty cool, so we'll have some stuff to talk about. Right. Um, the the thing that we wanted to talk about and uh, to get your your position on as a racer and as a motorsport lead is passing etiquette. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Passing is very well defined in the GLTC rulebook, but...
1: Oh, It's basically just don't do dumb stuff. Uh, Yeah. So,
0: but, uh, I don't have wheel to wheel racing experience myself. And so I am, um, kind of interested in this conversation to learn as much as I am to, uh, to kind of drive, uh, the, the discussion. And so So I'm not,
1: uh, I watched a little bit of video and like a couple of breakdowns about it, but I didn't watch the actual race. What uh, And I'm sure a bunch of listeners don't follow F1 super close. What was the actual drama all about?
3: Uh, the drama is people misunderstanding the application of racing rules. Okay. But but I like, don't what
1: what happened was... that was such a big deal? Like...
3: Um, what happened that was such a big deal? I don't really actually know. Uh, Lewis Hamilton lost the world championship that he seemed destined to win for, what, 52-ish laps?
0: Yeah, something like that. It was. It appeared to be in the bag as it were.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then racing intervened, which is, you know, ultimately why we race and had mm-hmm. other plans for Mr. Hamilton and Mr. Verstappen. Uh,
0: but there was, um, kind of a peculiar scenario that was, um, presented by the race director, um, and how they, like the, the remaining laps of the race were handled under yellow and lap traffic and, uh, a number of different things. But, uh, yeah, wasn't it like
1: there was there was a yellow and then they had one lap at the end, right? Mm-hmm. They did. Because I haven't I haven't rewatched it aside from like literally like I picked what looked like the best what the what the f happened kind of thing,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and then I watched it for a few minutes. And I'm like, this this is dumb. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it was See a bit of a hurried
3: doing? lap because they kind of had to like break what some people thought was protocol to get that lap in. But right, the yeah. the fact of the matter was that if the race resumed in, in any sort of context, whether protocol was followed or not, um, Max Verstappen was in a, a position whereby it was going to be very difficult for Lewis to to hold him off for the final lap. Right. They did some kind of funny things in the last lap where they let a couple cars by uh, to right. lap themselves and then immediately launched the race back into a green. But my opinion is that had they not let those cars by, I think the outcome was going to be the same. The question was whether the race should have restarted. That was going to be the only salvation for Hamilton on his tire strategy. Um, and if the race did restart, to me, the the writing was on the wall.
2: Mm,
0: but uh, uh, personal affiliations and interests aside, uh, there have been a number of racing in- incidents this year uh, uh, in the battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. Uh, because the championship was highly contested, uh, and the caliber of driving I think between the two was very good, um, For sure. But because it was such a tight battle, uh, we saw some incidents of um, passing etiquette that you know perhaps we don't see in club racing, but maybe we will, We would like to talk about.
3: We saw a lot of incidents that um, the grid life drivers commentated on publicly via their you know social media channels and seemed to have passionate opinions about at least some. Um, yeah. I
1: saw some of that stuff, but like, yeah.
3: I guess a little bit of the question would be whether the the driver um, having those opinions is able to maybe distinguish between uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton's, um, you know, standards um, <laughs> and situations and, and the type of situations that we have on a club race weekend. I think, I think they are, um, but it, it definitely, obviously we have a different standard for what we expect out of drivers on a formula one weekend versus a, a gltc weekend
1: so I, uh, at, at, as like an outsider looking in at formula one just like via what my friends complain about because mm-hmm. i don't actually i don't actually like follow it much i just started i just got into like uh drive to survive a little bit but that's more like the soap opera drama stuff mm-hmm. and not actually the racing yeah um the racing's like sped up for 12 seconds at the end you yeah. um <laughs> Like, it does seem like people complain about somebody driving somebody off into the dirt and then winning a race uh, a lot. Like, that's like, it does seem like a lot of like kind of dirty moves, but is that real or is that perception?
3: No, that's real. That's pretty much how, like, would you say like 50 to 60 percent of the races this season played out whereby like instead of (laughs) having somebody off the track (laughs) yeah well i mean just instead of having the the multi-corner battle you remember the the first year at gltc at mid-ohio um and i were like battling it out i guess some people outside observers would be like well they were battling it out for first place and i told cutiel my goal was to run a full lap of mid-ohio side by side with him Like that Mm -hmm. was my goal for the weekend. And I just kept screwing up the up and over in the Thunder Valley. So I could never make it happen. Uh, there's a way to do it, but I couldn't make it happen. Um, in, in F1, (laughs) the goal is, is obviously to like resume the forward position as quickly as possible. And it turns out the most effective way of doing that is to just drive your competitor off the racetrack.
1: Yeah. What, like, what, what are the ins and outs of like racing room and like, uh, Uh, the rights of drivers and stuff. Do you know the insanity? So
0: I looked up a little bit of the technical rulebook on Sunday night, and there is remarkably little uh, in the rulebook dictating driver behavior. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there is uh, a couple of paragraphs here and there across a few documents that describe how people should drive, Uh, but there's actually not very much. Uh, I was surprised at how little uh, was listening.
1: Yeah. Literally that, that's, that's real. Um, <laughs> hard to believe. Um,
0: so like there is, I think there is a few sentences about, uh, defending a position. Um, okay. there is uh, a few sentences about leaving some amount of racing room. Um, and that is kind of it with respect to passing. Interesting but interesting you you both have raced in series um in addition to grid life and so you have some uh, expertise that extends uh through club racing i think and i'm interested to know how the philosophies of the different series um uh mesh uh what is similar about uh passing rules in certain series and what is what is different
3: i think the attitude that grid life has towards passing rules is, is definitely, um, I mean, it's novel. It's, it's distinguishable from most other, even amateur racing series, let alone professional racing series.
1: Yeah. It like, it's sort of designed with like, like what's the what's the racing I would like to do because I don't like doing body work. And because it seems, uh, gentlemanly, uh, for lack of a better word, um, to not crash into people. <laughs>
3: so, yeah, and it's it's amateur but, racing. It's it's not professional. Right. It's supposed to be fun. And so right. I think it I think that the attitude towards passing focuses back on that that like this is supposed to be fun and if you're only interested in uh, acquiring the position ahead then yeah i mean the the attitudes of it certain takes, formula takes One drivers. It. Pre- yeah, yeah it takes the fun out of it because the best way to do that is is not the best way to have a fun race they're right. they're literally at odds with one another uh, which brings up I, huge-
1: yeah i don't remember much about nasa i'm sure you're more well versed on like the allowances but i only raced a few times in nasa but mm-hmm. uh, from what i remember and it's like eight nine years ago from what i remember it's basically like Uh, you got to have a certain amount of the car Uh, like a certain amount of overlap yeah the overlap has to be Mm -hmm. such and then like both cars have a right to the corner
3: sure Um, and then there's a right to uh, racing room and an expectation for that room
1: and isn't the racing room right like 90% of the car in some of the class like different classes have different amounts of racing room that are required
3: yeah I don't want to misquote the NASA GCR but I know either NASA or SCCA had one that was always kind of like uh, you know, it, it often quoted. Um, you know, for uh, offering three quarters of of a car's yeah, like,
1: and then cool. like the, the GTS series or something was mm-hmm. like ninety percent or one hundred ten percent. Cars are more remember. expensive,
3: so we're going to want that extra fifteen percent.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the fenders on those Porsches. Like, yeah, yeah, yep,
2: exactly.
3: It was um,
1: something like that, but I mean, it's basically like it's a it's it has its own passing like. That class has its own passing rules, which, you know, in some cases makes yeah. total sense.
3: And let's face it, like when it when it comes to side by side with a car, like you should leave probably one hundred and twenty five percent is probably a good a good metric to to follow Three.
1: Three quarters do not seem like
3: enough. <laughs> I mean, what's a how wide is a car, and what's twenty five percent? Like, I'm trusting you to place your car within two feet. Um, you know, two feet, And let's probably. face it, I'm I'm in this equation too, so I'm really only giving you a foot buffer, and I'm giving myself a one foot buffer. <laughs> when yeah, you really, you got, when you really think about it,
1: if you got eighty inches or so, you know, not including mirrors or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, the twenty inches is like, yeah, it's not much there. There's so, not much that's a quarter there. Of it.
3: And it, it depends depends on who you're racing with and and how well you know right. each other. you can have a little fun and and flirt with that a little bit. You know if the guy doesn't have side mirrors, you know you can you can knock that off your calculus. But, uh, yeah, he
1: could, he could be like those British guys and like pull up next to him and flip the mirror if he does. Flip the mirror in. Yeah, I had a spec me out race uh-huh. where
3: me and another competitor folded each other's mirrors in with no other contact between the cars. <laughs> it sucked, though, because it was my right side mirror and it was his left side mirror. So he just like nonchalantly reached out and straightened his mirror. And then I didn't have a right side mirror for the rest of the race. So <laughs> I probably left, left some big doors
1: open over there. Yeah, the, the it, it's like it, there's there is definitely I mean, obviously, in, the, in pro versus amateur, like there's big differences. I think there's also like a big difference between um, the way we do it, where it's sort of like, you know, for all intents and purposes, a traveling circus. And, you know, most of the drivers at most weekends, uh, there was mo- like almost every weekend in SCCA and NASA, like I might know one or two. Um and so you don't know who to trust, and you, like you, you learn to uh, you learn to judge some of the you know quote unquote body language uh, yeah. pretty quick. But like, I, I it always kind of turned me into a pretty conservative driver because I didn't mm-hmm. really trust you know that Ford Escort in ITA <laughs> because he chopped me off three times in four turns, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Well,
0: it's uh, I guess from the perspective of a non racer, but i'm I'm pretty far in it for not being an actual racer mm-hmm. um It's so strange to me that uh that there are series that would suggest that you know if you're if you're not uh up to a certain point of overlap in racing that it is fine to just turn down on somebody,
2: yeah. That's um,
0: like, I, I, I mean, I kind of get it, but it's, that doesn't seem very, um, it's not very good sport. I, th- I think,
1: I think it's mainly written from the perspective of figuring it out on the other end for the race director. Like the race director is like, you know, it's a, it's an arbitrary, like point or not arbitrary, but it's like a, uh, it's, it's a point that gives it to, to, to driver A or driver B. So like, that some
3: determination yeah. can be made in like a post race right.
1: evaluative. Standpoint. Yeah, it's 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 like you know, it's like uh it, it's yeah, it's literally post mortem instructions mm-hmm. for a race director. The better. incidents
3: already occurred.
1: Yeah, like it to me, like try to prevent the incident before you try to define how to determine yeah. fault. That's you probably
3: know? the bigger one for me than like how much room you give a guy once you're side by side. Let's face it, you can write a rule book that says you have to give the guy side by side fifty percent of a car width, but once you're side by side with another car, like. You're not sitting there thinking, I'm going to give this guy 50% of a car. You're going, you're going to give the guy a car with. If, if you don't, then you might as well give him nothing, right? Um, so I don't think yeah, that you, that's...
1: If you put the outside tires in the dirt, like, yeah, yeah you sent that guy. Once you it.
3: give a guy less than 100% of a car with, you might as well give him nothing. And so exactly. really what comes down to is, are you going to leave them a lane or are you not? And the determining factor of that is, is how you... How you score, how you judge the proximity of a car to you and whether that merits leaving them a lane. And that's the big thing where is what Abe's already alluded to, and that's the overlap. Um, at right. what point should you give racing room or give a lane, one car width, 0.9 car widths, 1.2 car widths, whatever it will be, at what point are you obliged to modify your line as the forward car and leave space for that car to try? to execute that maneuver. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And that, that varies, you know, like a lot of series don't have a requirement for like where that point starts, you know? Um,
3: a lot of them I think do, but it's,
1: it's such, it's almost unrealistic. Yeah. The judgment of such is also hard to.
0: So, uh, but I I think it lends itself to an interesting question, at least on the formula one side, what we saw were, Uh, frequently two drivers side by side, um, neither of them intent on uh, being the first to break and the inside car uh, disrupting the line of the outside car consistently because they entered the corner so shallow that there was no way that they were not going to affect the race of the other car. And so like... Uh, I mean, at what point is it, you know, do we call a spade a spade? And, and how do you regulate dive bomb type passes?
1: Um, in GLTC or in any series ever?
0: Well, let's start by talking about GLTC.
1: Well, uh, we talk, I mean, the biggest thing that we do is we try to always set the expectations uh, in, in new to GLTC meetings and in rookie meetings. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't been in a GLTC race ever, but you have raced with organization A, B, or C, or whoever. Uh, we require an extra meeting where basically Giles or myself or many of us, a bunch of us talk about, uh, here's how we do passing and here's what we, what we expect. And it really like so much of racing revolves around the, uh, the passing and the dive bombs and the brakes, you know what I mean? Um, as far as keeping the, the fenders and the, the car clean and the drivers smiling, um, those are the big things that we talk about and we talk about in the main meetings, um, but the right to racing room is sort of always there unless it's a dive bomb pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just really, really discourage those. And I think we kind of all know what a dive bomb pass is. Um, but we, uh, we mainly preach that the other driver should be able to reasonably expect that you will be there and be able to pull off, you know, said pass or uh, side-by-side turn. So, Yeah, The reasonable expectation of that is like the hard thing to, like, you can't really just, and that's the easiest way to say it, but you can't really always guarantee, you know, what the other car is going to do or where they're going to be. But uh, if you are the other car that's putting yourself somewhere that you weren't before trying to make a pass or trying to go side by side, uh, you better do it with uh, clear intentions as sort of, you know. Intentions and ability to execute is sort of like what we look for.
0: Well, uh, to to kind of follow up on that, and maybe maybe I'm not thinking about it fully, uh, but let let's say you have two cars that are not um, single file entering turn one at Gingerman. Uh, car decides to take the inside line and perhaps attempts to break late. Uh, the The scenario that I think is weird is uh, if if the car taking that inside line will take the apex on the left side and then also expect to track fully out to the right. That's the scenario that feels weird to me.
3: It's nothing weird about that. Um, by being offline. Yeah, what's, entering, about that? what's that, Adam?
1: I said, yeah, what's weird about that?
0: Well, I, I guess I'm just saying that like, if the two cars are side by side, then the outside car will almost necessarily have to, uh, remain on the outside in order to leave racing. I think yet. that's a reasonable expectation.
3: That's sure.
1: called racing. Yeah. yeah, you don't always you so don't always get the you, impact. In
3: your scenario, the cars are offline. They're they're in staggered formation. So intent has been established, presumably by the trailing car to pursue a different line from the lead car. Yeah. Um, so I mean, unless
1: unless that car is like six cars back.
3: Exactly. You know? So as, assuming it's realistic for that car to position itself at the intersection of that corner at the same time as the outside car, right? So he's right. offline. Right. He's established some intent. He's he's shown intent to the lead car um, of trying a passing maneuver. If he's eight car width back, I feel like it's pretty safe to disregard him. But if he's, you know, a car width back mm-hmm. or something like that, um, as you're braking, you need to make a very quick evaluation of whether he was able to get into a position where you need to leave racing room at the apex. And if he lost three car widths in the braking zone, well, yeah, you can turn into the corner. If he gained a car within the braking zone, now you need to leave a lane. And the expectation is that that inside car has also reduced his speed in such a manner that he's going to be able to hold the inside line and leave at least one car width of room on the exit of the corner for that lead car to attempt to hold his position. Um, that's that's how that one plays out
0: well I, maybe so that's, maybe that's what i was trying yeah. to say like if you take that's the inside sort of line the expectation is that you remain on the inside line through the corner
1: yes I mean, yeah you or, or or you leave just enough on the outside for your new friend yeah <laughs> now
3: if now if you're the inside car and you say in this scenario you know the modification i made the addendum uh, that he that he was one car with behind he closed up nearly one car within the braking zone. Um, he's now um, reasonably expected to be on the inside of the, the forward car in the corner. Um, now, if he outbroke the lead car by say four car widths, and now he's yeah. two, three car widths ahead, send it, bro. Like <laughs> take that sucker to the exit <laughs> curve. But um, the, the expectation of that scenario generally is that you're probably not going to distinguish yourself in braking that much. That's actually an interesting subject. I've been racing long enough and maybe I'm just not good enough on the brakes, but rarely do I distinguish myself on the brake pedal more than a car length or two from a competitor. Um, at least a a competitor that I have any kind of contested pass with. Um, it did seem maybe in certain situations that certain competitors, um, maybe thought that they were going to distinguish themselves for car widths on a competitor against another, you know, driver of similar ability my experience that just doesn't happen. So in that scenario, if I'm trying to outbreak you on the inside, I'm pretty much always expecting that you're probably good enough to be there on the exit curb and I need to leave some space for you. Um, maybe not everybody's, um, aware of that from the get go, but most people learn that after they've been in racing long enough, um, and the racing's pretty good.
1: Yeah. And the big thing you're trying to discourage, you know, is the dive bomb, like, uh, stuff it in so hard and you're going to need more track, you know, off to the outside than even exists. Or you're going to have to use that, that car that you are getting inside of to make that turn. Yeah. Um, like the, you know, it, two cars, two cars can go through a turn pretty fast, but usually there's contact in between if, uh, if one of them comes in too hot, you know? Yeah. Um, but i mean you can probably at in the average i would imagine like your actual min speed is mm-hmm. like 98% with two cars versus one car. Like, you're you're not talking, like, a big drop-in actual pace.
2: Yeah,
3: it depends on the corner on certain but, tracks. Like, uh, my yeah. favorites, I shouldn't even say this on, I don't know how many listeners you have your show that race GLTC, but, like, all the guys going too wide through turn 14 at Road America. Man, that's a long straightaway with a hell of a hill at the beginning of it. Like, <laughs> if I was going to pick a place to go too wide, that wouldn't be it. I feel like every wouldn't race I'm it. in at Road America, every lap, the cars in front of me are going too wide through 14 and like
2: yeah
1: that, that, that whole like the, everything leading up to it is like so easy to go too wide mm-hmm. comparably yeah <laughs> but, yeah well yeah that's that's not that's the one you want every mph yeah you know? that's
3: a last lap move only on on that corner like it's best yeah. to just tuck lift and grab that that draft from what 60 miles an hour to 130 miles an hour like yeah i think we know who's gonna end up ahead on on that one but the yeah. the thing we, if we're really talking about passing etiquette in, in a way for for people that um, that maybe are less experienced with this, we've we've touched on it and we moved away from it for a moment. Was at what point is it reasonable to expect to need to leave racing room? And that's one of those things where in most other rule books, it's a certain measure of overlap, and and that's difficult. Um, that's a difficult standard to to rule on because there's so many scenarios where overlap is just not a good measure. And so you mentioned, you know, reasonable expectation that they are going to attempt or could attempt a passing maneuver and get their car there. And I think some people listening that have some wheel-to-wheel experience might be thinking, well, hell, when you're in a single file line with five other cars, that would mean you'd have to leave the door open for every single corner. But if the car behind you stays in line with you, then you know that they're, they're staying in line and they're intelligent right. about keeping the race tight and waiting later to make their move. But the second that car departs from the line, you, you have to reasonably expect that they could stick their nose in there. So I don't, I don't need two, three feet of overlap Um, to leave room i just need the expectation that it's possible for them to get even one inch of overlap and then i need to leave the lane Um,
2: yeah
1: some of that is some of that probably is tactics as well like just mm -hmm. sticking your nose out to get a little bit of fresh air might be enough to get that person to slow down and let you next to them sure Um, there's nothing that says uh,
3: the outside car has to slow down though they're just leaving no i know it doesn't mean they're rolling out the red carpet
1: (laughs) Yep. But I've, you know, I've, I've passed a bunch of people just by nose to tail for two laps. And mm-hmm. then I, then you look one way and, and they, they panic just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, sometimes they even drive themselves into the dirt because they lift too way too much room. Yeah. Know?
0: Um, Everything but, about this story is believable except for the fact that you began with "I passed a bunch of people."
1: Dude, I've done a ton of races. Come on, I might not be—I might not be the shoe in GLTC, but I, I have inadequate equipment and lack of brain power. Weekend up,
2: so, come on.
3: There were some times for me in GLTC races that could be a little frustrating where I was in like a I can't think of a time when it was like a real five or six it's probably about a five or six car train and you're kind yeah. of the meat in the sandwich and and you feel like you're doing a decent job of keeping up with the guy ahead of you but you're not you're not quite ready to show a nose because you know that it would just disrupt his ability to stay with the lead car or maybe the number 2 car And so you're just kind of hanging out in a line there, hoping the guy in front of you takes a shot at the car in front of him so that you can, you know, get get a run off the corner and maybe maybe nip both of them. And then the guy behind you gets impatient and just sticks his nose in there a little bit. And And then
0: you automatically drop the the, the two cars. And you
3: just you say to yourself in the car, you say, damn it, dude. Like and, you know, when he shows the nose that he's not going to make the pass like you're going to you have to give him a lane because if you don't <laughs> he, he could nip your bumper and turn you but you know that he's not going to complete the pass you're going to give him a lane he's too far back you're going to roll your speed through the corner get the exit, and you're going to clear him but what you know is you're going to lose 100 yards to the car ahead and now yeah. you're in a race from third to sixth and you're no longer in the race for first and second and that that's just a part of racing and if you're that third is. place car in that hypothetical the answer is yeah you've you do have to get that lane. Now, if you're the fourth place guy, public service announcement, don't be an asshole. You're screwing <laughs> things up for everybody. Just stay just in line.
2: Somebody, Good shit might happen.
3: Front
1: to, yeah, wait but, for somebody up front to make a mistake or something. Let's yep. work on this last lap. You know?
3: Yes, but if that guy does it, yeah, you, you got to open it up because if you don't, you're going to end up getting turned. You're going to have right. to do body work and you're going to finish dead freaking last. Um, so that's, that's, that's just the way it goes sometimes.
1: Yeah. Well, you should just uh, race like me. Just start from the back and pick <laughs> off all the nerds.
3: You, know? you can be the guy showing the nose all race long.
1: That's how you get all those passes, huh? But, well, yeah, that's not, that's not far
2: off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
3: It's hard for them to really counter the pass when you're like, dropping oil in front of them too right
2: hey that was just a,
1: that was just this season man not anymore that motor is long gone Good. it wasn't dropping oil it was coming out the exhaust
3: was- <laughs> mosquito killer
1: it, it was yeah it was the uh, the spy it was like you know the spy tool texas thanks you for your service yeah no more mosquitoes over there in march over <laughs> at dakota you know what i mean so
0: uh, we've talked at length about passing. The other thing that's timely now is PRI. Um, I uh, I did not attend the show or had not really planned on attending the show and ended up watching the live stream from the state of the grid event uh, at the, uh, what do you call it? The one of the meeting rooms. Yep. And, I was doing work for my house while watching that. And I was like, well, maybe I should just go. And,
1: uh, yeah, it, it was texting me and Rebecca, I guess, must've had the phone sort of with my phone in the periphery. And he's like, I can see you texting me back. It was like, <laughs> You know, inches away from my phone. (laughs)
0: There's, I think, probably 100 people watching the live feed, and Adam and I are having a conversation, and his phone is in the camera frame. That's great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, But I went up, and I didn't really see much of any of the show. I've been to the show a number of years, but Aaron, you attended as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the winning formula, if the winning formula goes to that show, uh, what do do they aim to do? Uh,
3: Not work for a day, Mm, which is what most of the guys aim to do. Uh, when they go out there for the day, um, no, I I think there's three quarters of the audience. there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think for, for me, um, and for a lot of the guys, I think it's just a a fun day to get away from the shop and relax a little bit. Um, obviously there's tons of cool eye candy up there. So there's like a certain, um, you know, amusement to it in general. Um, for me, I normally have, um, people that I want to speak to people that we bounce emails back and forth before and say, Hey, let's get together and talk. And then uh, I usually get up there, and I don't want to annoy them, so I just resume the conversation via email on Monday. I'm pretty sure that's how it <laughs> goes for most people. Like I didn't say a word to Adam the whole time I was up there. No, I was like I, I, like, I was like, I don't I, want to I annoy wave, that guy. He looks wave busy, for a man. Second.
1: Yeah, wait for a second, and then off you went, never find you again. Yeah,
3: exactly. Um, but uh, honestly, the things I do at, um, at PRI, I fondle every single driving suit that I can find, looking mm. for the thinnest driving suit possible. Um, that's something I do every year. I sit in every racing seat ever. Um, like, like as if I'm going to change the seat in any of my cars. Um, I, I try to think of it in, uh, like my customer's body types when I'm doing it. Like maybe this seat would work for, you know, John or something like that. Um, but just an opportunity to check out equipment and stuff like that. Um, that's what it mostly is. That would
0: otherwise be hard to check.
3: Yeah. You can sit in 50 seats if you want to. I mean, probably more than that on a given day. Probably 100. Yeah, yeah that's, 100. That,
1: that's really that's that's a super smart uh, objective to like that most people wouldn't think about cuz yeah, where do you sit in so much stuff unless you have some kind of crazy dealer local to you.
2: So, yeah.
3: yeah. Um there's tons yeah. of products up there too that like I mean obviously that's why a lot of those companies are there where um I've never even heard of them before. Um I'd like to think I've heard of most stuff, but if you really get off the, you know, the kind of main drag and get into some of the smaller booths, um yeah. you know, some of the um you know, the the less mainstream kind of um service providers in motorsports, you realize how many companies it takes to make and design some of these products. It's it's pretty incredible.
1: Right. Yeah. There's even like, you know, casting companies there, extruders. Coding
3: companies. Um Yeah, I talked
1: to a couple of coding companies. Like just there's a lot of interesting new tech all the time. And yeah. That's one of the places that it that exists. There's there's, you know, race control stuff and uh, aids for, you know, racing promoters and sanctioned bodies and
3: yeah if you and, ever I, wanted to know where to get an airbrushed like fan t-shirt like you ever see the like nascar like jeff bodine airbrush t-shirt like you probably don't <laughs> know somebody that does that i know three people that do that now and if you don't think there's going to be an a tab airbrush t-shirt on the grid next year you got another <laughs> thing coming
1: dude uh, we we even talked to the motorsports division of fifth third bank because they were there
3: I bank with Fifth Third. Yeah. They're terrible. I would not advise a relationship. Well, they've
1: third. they've got a, like, uh, you know, Vaughn getting Jr. just bought a NASCAR shop. Mm-hmm. Guess who helped him buy it? Like, Damn. that's hard to buy.
2: That is hard to buy.
1: Yeah, same thing with uh, with um, Adam LZ bought a crazy compound that, like, nobody should be able to not pay cash for. Hmm. And it, they figured out how to make it happen. So
2: Just because favor. of,
1: like, it's like, it, interesting because of, you know, social media presence and, and racing aspirations, but they've got an actual little bank partner group for that so cool. it's weird um i mean for for the the show for us like historically it's kind of been the same as what you have said where mm-hmm. we're kind of talking to talking to applicable partners and uh, uh previous partners and current partners and stuff like companies that help grid life exist because entry fees basically pay for the event maybe and then the partners pay for the company to exist so um but this year we had a booth, and they gave us like the most killer spot. It was cool. It was it was like the best spot, and uh, right across from PRI. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of talking. Uh, we got sought out by a lot of companies, which was like uh, kind of uh, unexpected. Yeah, uh, it was it was it was wildly uh, busy, and. We got a lot of emails in the general email. We got a lot of individual emails, uh, everybody that was working the booth. And so I saw a lot of people that, like, we've never met, but, like, new online, and they stopped by the booth and did some sim racing, or kid did some sim racing. Um, you know, people like the president of Indy Motor Speedway, you know, mm. stuff like that. So
3: mm. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's kind of
1: weird.
0: So uh, a, a bit of history to anyone on the show and, and to uh, Aaron. Uh, I went to a private event at IMS. It was like a track day uh, led by auto interests and our boy, Ed CZ. And, uh, I met Doug Bowles, um, in the control room and just talked to him about grid life for a minute and handed him my card. I sent him a note afterward. He never got back to me. So I'm sad. Yeah, I hope
1: never got back to you.
0: I hope that he will in the future.
1: <laughs> Kick rocks, nerd. That's what he said. <laughs> um, well, his son seemed to do uh, to do average and the Sims, so yeah, he had a good time. Um, yeah, the Lime Rock guys uh, introduced uh, us to him mm-hmm. because they know each other because of like mutual mutual ownership, sort of. Hmm. Um, so, uh, I guess Mr. Penske owns a chunk of Lime Rock because Skip Barber sold, I think, like fifty-eight percent or sixty-two percent or something like that. But, um to like a group and I guess Penske was part of that so but they knew each other and uh, yeah so it was a uh, lame me with like you know podcast gear around my neck hoodie and then uh, the most well dressed track manager uh, which was Mr. Bowles and then a pretty well dressed track manager which was uh, Charlie from Lime Rock
2: <laughs> yeah but
1: uh, yeah, I was, I was dressed like myself so
0: on uh, Friday night we went to a party at the Silo Car Collector Museum place, and yeah, um, cool. which was fun. It was produced by Haggerty, and uh, I saw a person there that I swore that I had recognized. And um, I walked over to you and asked, "Hey, who is this person?" He was dressed very well. You could tell that they were like, you know, uh, a business type. And I was like, "Is that the uh, the former CEO of, of Laguna?" Because I remember having talked to them uh, a couple of years ago when we had like visited PRI. And uh, I, I actually was kind of amazed at myself to just uh, put a face to a, uh, a title having only met the person one
1: time.
2: I that couldn't was a rem- long time ago, too. I
0: couldn't remember his name, but I was like, ah, that's that guy that did this.
1: What is his name? I remembered it when I saw him because I mean, he's the he's, he manages M1 Concourse now. I guess so, um, Can't remember what his name is at the moment. But so talked Adam, to him for a while
3: <laughs> at PRI. What was the most interesting conversation that you had? What's something you can share related to uh, well, to GridLife and to the the uh, customers and and community at GridLife that you talked about at I th- PRI?
2: I
1: think probably you know we had, we had a lot of interesting conversations with people that want to partner with GridLife or. Uh, Inquired about it, etc., mm-hmm. which is great. Um, Street tire but, companies? Uh, yes,
3: there are not many uh, tire several, companies there. Uh...
1: No, but but reps from several of them like followed mm-hmm. us around because mm-hmm. of GLTC, and okay. some of them were in the uh, were in the like conference. No. So uh, four actually. <laughs> so, um, but uh, the most interesting thing for me is uh, ever since. You know, ever since we did a couple of night races and you can't see a flagger very well at night Ew. i've been staring at some of these yeah i can't see it well but i've been staring at some of these uh these in-car flagging like mm. digital devices
2: mm-hmm.
1: and race control devices and stuff mm-hmm. and they're, they're very expensive and they were they all seem kind of preliminary in their design like you know beta test beta test beta test mm-hmm. but uh i think i found the one that i want to buy um and uh, it's pretty reasonable even for drivers to buy the in-car units if they want. They're, well, like, in the $250, $250 range. So.
3: Yeah. I mean, for the safety that that, that that imparts on the driver, I think that that's a good investment if we buy, you know, if right. we spend X number of dollars on harnesses, seats, fire suppression gear. There's yeah. an argument this that that's cautious just cautious. part of the kit. like one tire. Yeah. yeah.
1: This, exactly. is like, this is, like, one tire.
3: <laughs> one Hoosier tire. It's, like, 60% yeah. of a 200
1: treadwear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, that's... Does, That's something I want to go towards?
3: Are tracks investing in that stuff, or is that something that uh, the that the sanctioning body needs to invest in? Is that is that your responsibility to do that, or is that something the tracks of, are thinking? It Kind of about?
1: depends. I I, uh, I think tracks should do it. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem is they're going to get pretty slow uptake. The one that mm-hmm. the one that I really like is because I like it because cost is okay. It's a well known company that, that like started making this stuff. It's mm-hmm. an electrical electrical supplying company for mm-hmm. for your racing parts. Um, it's engineered in-house. It's not like, you know, stealing it from somebody else,
2: mm-hmm.
1: piggybacking technology and just building it or something. Um, uh, but it's modular as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, like you could have a bunch of just the led boards and you carry those with you run them off a the car battery. And, uh, you could digitally flag from race control from tower. Um, or you can, you can just start building on, you can just add more and more of those, or you can go into, uh, the actual in-car, flagging things uh and those things like this one had their gps inside Mm -hmm. like they can tell you how fast everybody's going Hmm. uh where everybody is split times which would be useful for the broadcast Uh, but pretty cool little setup like uh they they even adjust the brightness uh, based on daylight Hmm. Uh, so a little photo cell or whatever you call it inside of the in the back of the little little unit. So it's
3: pretty cool. So would race control ultimately would control the flagging. So the corner worker would call in the incident and then no, can the race corner cor-
1: workers can also have the one that controls their corner. Ah, so,
2: okay. so it's
1: like a little, like a, like a waterproof, like video game thing with mm-hmm. like six buttons uh, for each corner worker. Very and cool. you can run the whole track on that. Yeah. Or, uh, or every corner worker has that, mm-hmm. uh, or every corner worker has that. And race control has like a master computer, mm-hmm. uh, and you could screen share with live streams. So they could see where people are, what are they doing? Yeah, um, Like it's, it, it's got, it's got some legs. It's the thing that I want to do.
3: Um, sounds worth them. worthy of pursuit. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. It's, it's to me, it seems a little bit better than like everybody even being on the same radio channel. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and the cost is very similar. Hmm. So my hardware seems robust. Um, especially for like short sprint races. Like we could, we could save a race or two. Uh, mm-hmm. if we could just get everybody down to pace at one time, tell them all to come in and not miss a lap, you know, yeah. uh, something like that. So
3: I've got, yeah, another, I think it could
1: actually preserve the fun, but.
3: I've got another question for you, Adam.
2: Oh
1: boy.
3: Yep. Uh, what was your favorite moment of 2021 as it pertains to racing and competition and how do you plan like, to recreate that moment more time? Myself or big
1: picture for everybody. Either one. Uh, I didn't have a lot of favorite moments aside from spec fit fun. And I, I'll recreate that just by doing more spec fit with those boys. Yeah. So, uh, but I think in uh, in wheel to wheel space, I have to think about it. Um, I don't know right now.
3: Did you have any moment know. where you like detected a hint of pride? Like where you're just like, this is awesome. Because I've talked oh, to you a couple of yeah, times man. and you're like, sweating bullets and then usually you're <laughs> like all right that was pretty natural, awesome
1: it's my natural state for uh, sure until uh, until like the the tuesday after but, um what was the best banger battle like i don't even remember right now it's too many to think about um coda had some had some pretty okay racing if i remember but i was mm. dicking around with my car and i don't remember it that well did you ever watch a race racing? start did you ever
3: watch a race start at Road America from like, were you watching from the control tower or did you watch one from like the turn five area at all?
1: No, I usually watch the race start from, uh, from I'm in grid. So So
3: uh,
0: I'll interject here. Uh, that moment of this is pretty cool was, uh, for four races at Road America, I'm standing next to the, uh, the starter, Mm -hmm. uh, on the bridge by myself. And I, I got to watch, I don't know. Fifty five cars line yeah. up and pass uh, a green flag just completely underneath me, and I was like, "Not very many people get this point of view at yeah. this race." Especially in America, yeah. and it, it just it felt really special.
3: Yeah, I've watched some race um, starts from Turn Five and like for in other series because with GLTC, I was I was running in all the races. Honestly, if my car broke, the first thing I would have done is just run to Turn Five to watch the racing from there. <laughs> But it, it's just incredible to see the cars run down through that corner, like the sound off the walls, the, yeah. the challenge of a downhill braking zone when you're going 130, you know, some odd miles an hour. And then like the precision, like everybody looks like they're about to crash and then nobody yeah. does. And you're like, that's pretty
2: cool.
1: I've watched a, I've watched a couple of races, uh, SEC runoffs from turn five, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in the bleachers, yeah. um, and yeah, a lot of people do crash there. Cool.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. No, I don't. I don't know about any GLCC crashes. That was good.
1: Uh, I mean, a couple of people like blow a braking zone. You just drive into the crap for a little while. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I can't pin. I can't pinpoint the coolest. Probably, actually, one of the more fun races that I watched was the the, the no points race on mm-hmm. Sunday at Middle ohio
3: I watched um, that one.
1: Yeah, I, I wandered all around. I wandered like all the way around to start like, at Sea Thunder Valley from the from the top side of the carousel. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had never been in those bleachers like that far down, down that way. That was cool to watch. Um, and it's probably one of the better spectating places to to be at mid Ohio is right at the bridge. Um, where you can see, like if you stand on the straightaway side of the bridge, um, you can see obviously basically the downhill run towards China beach. You Mm -hmm. can, you can turn to your right and see most of madness and stuff, uh, but you can also just like quick like walk over the road and see the whole other side, like the front straight. Yeah, uh, it's not a bad spot. You get a, just with slight movement, you can see a lot of a race there. Yeah, um, and you can see the kind of the cool one of the more one of like the more cool views is when the cars pop out from under the bridge, and they and they you can see like the visible slip angle of the cars as they approach turn one yeah. in how like it's a fun place to actually just watch cars race
3: that is a cool Um, spot i think one of my coolest memories from last year uh that i would love to see recreated was uh the qualifying at mid ohio Um, absolutely and that That
1: was freaking good one it was nuts
3: (laughs) like i literally uh so i i went out and i have like a kind of a a script for how i want qualifying to go right and I'm, i'm like pretty disciplined about going through it like i have a way I warm up the car. I have what I call like a banker lap. And then I have a flyer that I put in where I like, you know, try to push myself outside of my comfort zone. I usually pick like one or two corners to just try to push a little bit and find a couple of tents. I went in and did, you know, did my banker, was reasonably happy with it, it was maybe like a tenth or two off of it. Um, what I was shooting for, what I thought was good enough to, to put the car on pole. And then I, uh, I did my flyer lap and just like sent the car into every corner and I like screwed up the one corner that I wanted to do well in and then nailed the other one I wanted to do well in. And, and the, the lap came across and it was a little better than I thought it was going to be. So I like, did a, a cool down lap and I pitted and mm-hmm. I knew it was a long qualifying session. So I asked uh, Ethan to come down to the pit lane with like a pressure gauge, like reset tire pressures and my phone so that I could look at the lap times And I like roll in and Ethan's there with the pressure gauge. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about pressure gauge. Let me see that phone. And uh, I grabbed the phone and I just said, holy shit. (laughs) And I look (laughs) and it's like the top 10 cars were separated by like eight tenths. But it was like, yeah, it was like the top five were like three tenths to where I'm like looking and it's like hundredths of a second between cars And I just started laughing, and I was just like, Ethan, holy shit, like, look at all these guys just laying in flyers. And, like, two or three of them were guys that I fully expected to be there. But then normally there's, like, that little half-second gap. There's that little buffer that you have if, if you think that you're, like... You know, if you think you're on a top drive, you got that little half second. And I'm like, I don't have shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are on me. And I was like, Man, Your gas them tires down, down baby. We gotta go put another one in. And uh, that was like the most excited I was. And yeah. I was I was excited by the lap I put in, and then I came in and I was excited by the laps everyone else was putting in. And I was just like, This is gonna be a freaking banger. Um, and I just remember driving back out on track to like try to put in a second lap, which um spoiler alert, I did not. Uh, and, uh, I was just like, I couldn't get out of my head just how incredible the performance of like those top 10 cars and the proximity of them was for, for all the yeah. ramblings we do about parody and, and all the stressing you do about little rule adjustments to see all those cars that close together. Uh, it's like, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, that's, good.
1: that's the thing. That's literally the moment I'm, I'm thinking like, like there was one time and literally I was thinking like Houghton is blowing my phone up about how awesome things were. What was that one? And it was, uh, so at the beginning of that, like we had, I think we had 25 minutes allotted or something like that. It was mm-hmm. like going to be a little bit longer session. And I had radioed to Gary who was managing, um, he was basically the clerk of the course. So he's yeah. managing like the, when the checker flag goes, and I said, Gary, give him extra time. I'll fix it later. And, uh, and like I, I basically gave everybody five extra minutes that was a thought you screwed and just me. well just to see if anything cool happened and also <laughs> and also like if if something stupid happened then we'd have an extra five minutes to fix it you so if we got to go tow five k you know out of the How out dare of the pits. you well weren't you in you were in a machine? I, I was
3: in the cayman that weekend
1: um But, uh, yeah, so I told him to make it a little bit longer and just to see what happened. And then, like, right at the end, like, it kept, like, the the times kept changing. Yeah, my time got
3: got pipped. (laughs) So so (laughs) where did you end up? When I came into the pits with Ethan, I was on pole after everybody had done their first runs. And I knew that I'd given everything I had, basically. And and then uh, Coutil just put in, like, a freaking ridiculous lap. And Tom did what Tom does. And uh, I think I ended up like maybe two tenths off pole or something like that. But I went out, I went out on a, yeah. um, I went out for another lap and I actually had kind of resolved to myself that like, instead of pushing for my like second lap that I was actually just going to kind of like try to tidy it up. And I was kind of convinced that what I gained pushing I'd lost in the, the one blown corner. And I was like, you know what? Right. I think I can just like refine that a little bit and clean it up. And I don't really need to drive that hard. I just need to just kind of find the edge and so I went out and I put together something that was like pretty decent and I was entering turn 12 and I was like 0.15 up on my prior lap which is not enough right. for pole I think it would have put me second I, I you obviously don't know that in the time it was like 0.15 up and uh I didn't know that you were going to extend the session and I uh, I feel starved going into turn 13.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it
3: wouldn't have made much of it. it wouldn't have made much of a difference but uh, uh.
1: So pull, pull it made for it
3: made for an awesome an awesome qualifying session. I was pretty that, happy with the. That the was result. a
1: good weekend. It's big, like big picture. I remember that weekend being pretty solid.
0: You know what, though, I, I feel like the weekend at Mid Ohio is always good. It is.
3: It's one of the, like, most, I, I hate to use, like, a cliche word, but it's, like, a very dynamic racetrack. And what I mean by that right. is, like, there's a section where the um, the lighter, better handling cars do well. And there's a section where the better braking cars do well. And there's a section where the uh, better straight line cars do well. And when you cross the finish line again, it all equals out to, like, the same lap time. It's one of the few tracks right. where, like, it's really hard to say whether the you know for someone who has the k miata and the and the porsche which is a literally the opposite car um it's hard yeah. to say which they almost better. couldn't get more opposite they're within like a tenth of a lap of each other there and at most other tracks the miata has the cayman like pretty handily um and so that's just right. one of those tracks where it doesn't matter what car you bring if you drive it well the racing's going to be good and that's what i think that's why we had the qualifying that we did there
1: and it was a big field uh, and just enough into the year where everybody's got their stuff together versus like April when we used to be there. Um, and uh, thankfully, like we, we were able to secure the same, which it's like one of the best weekends of the year. Yeah. Um, if I think it's been the IndyCar weekend several times, the early August weekend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I work, we're kind of uh, on the heels of IndyCar. Hopefully they don't boot us off, but we got the same weekend again, which is good. So I would go to New
3: twice a season if I could.
1: Yeah, if I can get the dates, I do it too. I I love that. Special if it were on Central twice. Yeah, it's it's easier to go to Gingerman twice, but we're only going to Gingerman once this year. I know. Next year, Jared will be happy. Um, Well, some people will be happy. A lot of people actually probably won't. But we're gonna we're gonna try a few new tracks. You know, Uh, you can only do so many events. But well, um, people who
0: say we're only going one time forget about Honda Meet, right? Like, and they'll probably forget about Track Day Picnic and.
1: And and taco track day and yeah
0: or not yeah taco track day,
1: um oh yeah track day picnic is at Blackhawk yeah I love Blackhawk, um,
0: you and I argue, really you good. and I argued last week about whether to make track day picnic a points event. Uh, I'm still right. in favor of it, but uh, I know that a lot of people oppose.
1: Well, not a lot. It was really I left to kind of to Scott and Renee because I wanted to get their opinion, and Scott was like, yeah, like on Tuesday or whatever. Scott was like, yeah, we should let's let's pack that thing out. Uh, and then I was like, "Yeah, let's do that." And then uh, I then I, I slept on it for a while, a couple of days, and like Renee, all of a sudden, was like, "No, nope, let's leave it alone. It's perfect because it's like a perfect weekend, you know." Um, and then I thought, "Yeah, let's let's not do that. Let's leave it alone because it's perfect. <laughs> so, um, I don't think it needs that. Like twenty cars is fine."
3: It sounds to and me like fun. it would go against the whole ethos of the event
1: right right like it doesn't it right. doesn't need to be uh, it doesn't need to be the same as everything else there is something kind of there's something different and fun about that track and i do it's pure i like yeah i like doing it without like we don't even use a and b transponders like mm-hmm. it's photo finish i like it feels old like the place is like a nice nice place but it feels like it's it feels like you rolled into like 1968 i like the sound of that um, yeah, it's like really. Have good you event. ever driven there? I place.
3: haven't. Emil's been to that event and he raves about it. He loves it.
1: You should go, dude. It's, yeah, the track is good. Like and the the barbecue and the the hangs and like mm. it's just a nice place to. You rent an RV or sleep in your trailer and you wake up. It's like the it's always the nicest places to wake up. And you wander around. and You walk the infield. It's an <laughs> infield paddock track. Uh, you wander around. You walk and you see everybody's cool like campsites in the woods and. And have a coffee. The food's good there. Uh, we always throw a big party on Saturday night. Like it's it's good. The place is good.
3: That'd be a good track for me to like not bring a GLTC car to. Like bring the VA me out or something. Just to bring, like bring force me Miata. out of my shell a little bit.
1: Yeah, actually bring bring like that little prototype thing you got the That'd Tiga. Cool. Yeah.
3: If yeah. you brought your whatever, what's your thing called?
1: It's uh, a Fraser.
3: You have. We all have things. You have a Fraser <laughs> yeah. thing. I have a Tiga thing. Yeah. If you brought the well, that, Fraser, uh, I would bring the Tiga and Emil would bring the, 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 uh, the tab creation, uh, his
1: Lotus. Yeah, that's the seven. The seven. If um, we brought
3: those three cars, that would be really fun.
1: That that was the place that I blew up my Fraser the first time. First time I had it on track. So.
3: <laughs> maybe, maybe not then.
1: No, it's a really, it's, and it's a lower speed too. So I, I wouldn't even really, really need to regear it for that place probably.
3: You have it back in your possession, right?
1: Uh, uh Ish. yeah, <laughs> I mean, do But it's it's in the it's in the trailer, and it might be mine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anybody else that I live with. <laughs> I see. Yeah, Hi, it, uh, it was too good of a deal to not purchase for an uh, investment. Sure, I mean? sure. Well, just
0: uh, if you ever need money, you can sell five transmissions from the stockpile in your basement. Or you
1: can talk to Fifth Third.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's true, man.
1: Talk to Michael over at Fifth Third. Uh, I I do have 27 L3 Honda transmissions in my possession as well that I don't need.
0: How many engines are down there?
1: Uh, I don't know. Let me walk over there and look. I'm in the basement right now. I think there's four engines down here. I mean, they're all like pieces of this and that. But yeah, I got problems. Man. <laughs> yeah, there's four engines like five engines in here, and a crank. You've you've got. I don't a, even like building yeah, engines anymore. That's the problem. You've got an illness. For sure. Yeah, I had an illness. I'm trying to recover.
3: Are you going to take your uh, Civic Dakota?
1: Uh, that's the hope and plan. Yes. If everything goes well in the dyno and the fab work's done, I'm like in assembly stage. The engine is a known solid engine. It's the one that I ran the Jackson blower with a bunch mm-hmm. of years ago. Um, and I'm not shooting for any kind of power. These, these engines can take like 300 wheel and I'm shooting for like 169. You nice. know?
3: What, Uh, how many standing starts are we going to do at Coda? Three, four, two.
1: <laughs> Scott wants to do, th- to, to do two. and mm-hmm. I think it's perfect to do one. <laughs>
3: it's, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 love it. I'm, I'm in for as many as Scott feels. The it, need for. It,
1: I just, I just feel like if, and we were talking about it at PRI on Saturday, Scott was talking to me about it. Um, it's hard to organize time frame wise. So we got to do it right after, or we got to the first thing in the day or right after lunch, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, cause it takes an extra couple minutes and we're yeah. pretty time strapped in that event. Cause it's mm-hmm. very expensive to run. Um, but uh, I feel like if it's on the live stream, and if the first one works fine, I feel like you're really rolling it up. on the second. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, not that I believe in luck, but uh, I do believe in having bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I have it. So um, it's also like a, it, it, it if it's a big field, mm-hmm. like then it then it could become messy.
3: I don't think of roll of like standing starts as being like dangerous or messy. I, I, the, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's, I can think of the argument to go both ways, but I always think of it as being like a lower turn one speed and that making it a little easier to sort yourselves out. Um, but especially
1: there, climbing up that hill yeah yeah
3: um
1: and also they like they do they do have the advantage of uh having the actual laid out spots on the track so that helps that uh, yeah because it's an f1 track and it's so wide and so big um you know the places the blacktop's like 80 feet wide there yeah
3: it's really wide
1: yeah it's like it's enormous You, you could just you could drive around the cars uh and go and there's so much room. <laughs> the worst thing about
3: the, when we did it last year was we did it first thing in the morning and it was actually really cool. And so right. my tires weren't warmed up enough for me to use launch control. You did a
1: big old like Cletus McFarlane burnout
2: there, dude.
3: I did on the practice start. And then on yeah. the real start, I launched it from like 3000 RPMs. Cause it just blew the tires off of it at 6,500 RPMs.
1: Did it, did it bog at 3000 or was it just boring? Oh
3: no, it just took off.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. such a good guy. <laughs> so much better than me.
3: i think i'm gonna uh, take the I, I miata like to, down there this year though
1: okay yeah i would like to do i would like to that's one track i would like to do because i feel like i can't even remember where everything goes by mm-hmm. visualizing it you know yeah because i didn't get enough laps in because my oiling system and everything was dying in my car so. yeah car was perfect on the dyno and it turns out like it wasn't good anywhere else so
3: Got beautiful weather that weekend i hope we get the same <laughs> this year
1: yeah i'm Crossing my fingers and knocking on all the wood for that
3: too. Are you gonna... i am
0: really hoping that we uh renew our reservation at the mcmansion i
3: was just gonna ask where you were gonna stay for the weekend. i
0: hope
1: that we get the mcmansion but, i mean that's the plan I don't think if it's still it standing happen. dude it was so bad <laughs> <laughs> did, did you end up there at all aaron or no
3: no i i did not Dear. have the the good fortune of making Dear. it to the, mean, the mcmansion
1: it's one of the only houses where I've ever walked up. And, and you just like pull up, and it's like, that's a big place. Mm-hmm. And you walk up, and you're like, that place is crooked. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to
3: bring scaffolding
1: with you this year. It, it's, it, it had broken windows because they had turned into parallelograms <laughs> with no 90-degree no corners at all. You know? It was really wild. <laughs> so
0: the, the strangest thing that I can remember about the McMansion is uh, in the ballroom, as it was called, uh, the ceiling is something like 30 feet high. And you yeah, have it was to. was
3: probably
1: 20 feet high. Is yeah, it called the least. ballroom because that's where Adam was naked? Or... No, that's what they call it. Okay. <laughs> I, was not, I, was, I was naked outdoors. <laughs>
0: uh, you, you have to walk through the ballroom to get to the pool area.
1: It's called a grotto in and a brochure. the brochure.
0: The ceiling in the ballroom is very high, whether it be 20 Fair. or 30 feet. Uh, the exit door. To get out to the pool area, the height for the door couldn't have been greater than six feet.
1: Yeah, a standard door. Is six foot eight. a standard door is six foot eight, and I'm six foot two, uh, <laughs> and I can walk through them fine, right? And uh, I had to duck by multiple inches to get out this door. So, it's and big. there was literally like there's like fourteen feet of clear wall straight above this. Thing, <laughs> it's you incredible. Know? It was so b- bizarre. <laughs>
0: Uh, also, none of the doors in the house would shut mm-hmm. uh, because no. the house had sagged enough.
1: Same reason the windows broke. Sad. Yeah, yeah same exact reason,
2: actually.
0: Uh, and, and one other detail about the ballroom was that it was a, a post-construction addition. Mm-hmm. And instead of making... You know what this house needs? A ballroom.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Make it so.
0: I- instead yeah. of uh, finishing the fourth wall of that ballroom as an interior wall... Uh, they just left the exterior of the house there.
1: Yeah, there's just like roof hanging out and this is like cocked to ball on a budget.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: It uh, I you know it, it, it's one thing to like build a ballroom, but it's one it's another thing to build a ballroom with inadequate footing depth uh, when before you frame her up.
2: So
1: <laughs> So we got that going for us there, which is nice. Oh man and and there was a there's a beam there like one beam in the middle it wasn't like centered in the ballroom either and you know beam's supposed to be like straight to be able to bear weight geometrically you know Mm -hmm. like and this thing had a nice old belly curve it. it was not upright it was not 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 vertical she had some curves oh man
3: who booked that was that chris
1: yeah, Chris found it. He was like, "Dude, check this thing out!" And we like, I looked at it, and like that looks terribly awesome and <laughs> terrible. So, but, but it slept like 15 people. That was the perk, you yeah. know. Like three and with Airbnb. COVID
3: and trying to get hotels and stuff is a mess,
1: right? And it was close to the track. It was like, you know, three turns away from the track, ten minute drive. Yeah, there's a really good taco place down the down the street in a gas station, mm-hmm. uh, and we got breakfast there a couple mornings. Mm. Was freaking amazing! Yeah.
0: So we're into this for about an hour. Um, I think we should call it a wrap and say thank you to the patrons uh, for supporting the show. We're going to try and do some more content for you. I've got a list of show ideas.
2: Now, now, now
1: that Abe has a house, like as of last week. And we I have show, my so. desk
0: set up, which is uh, Clutch. And, yeah, uh,
1: he's been really blowing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have, thanks. Um, uh, also (laughs) brought to you by fcp euro where every part you buy is guaranteed for life and then finally uh, brought to you by apex pro which is the official motorsport app of the slip angle podcast where you don't need apex pro hardware to run the app and log data inside your car it's free too right and it's free and the app is really really good Um, i think you get one hertz gps ability uh, with just the app because you have the hardware limitation the addition of the of equipment uh the, their specific unit gives you a whole lot more functionality gives you the uh the apex uh light indicators and gives you 10 hertz gps so uh, Ape said, Ape said unit, big unit i mean it's it's a normal sized unit
1: yeah. no, they're pretty small actually kind of a cute little thing i mean yeah. it doesn't you make you a bad person
0: thanks everybody for listening
1: Right. see you guys. Later. Slip
2: Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit Grid Live to say hello.